You're listening to the Gods to Ghost Volleyball podcast and your host, Scott Bemke. Our podcast today features the one and only legendary indoor and beach player in American history, Ron Lang. Over his career on the beach, Mr. Lang won over 55% of the tournaments that he entered. He has over 50 beach open wins, including three Manhattan Beach Open titles in 65, 66, in 67 and was inducted into the California Beach Volleyball Association Hall of Fame in 1995. When it comes to playing indoors, he was a legend in the sport at the USVBA Nationals and also competed on the 1964 USA Men's Indoor Olympic Team in Tokyo, Japan and was later inducted into the prestigious International Volleyball Hall of Fame in Holyoke in 2005. On top of that, he's widely considered as being one of the greatest defensive players who ever played the sport. Let's get started with our interview with Ron Ado Next Lang. All right, got Ron Lang here on the line. Uh, Mr. Lang, do I have your permission to record our conversation today? Excellent. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to get started with a few questions here for you that we had. Um, if there's a awkward uh, pause or my voice cracks like Peter Brady's in that Brady Bunch episode, it's pretty much because I'm in awe of being able to talk to someone like you here. So now that I got that out on the table, let's, uh, let's get started. For those who knew and competed against you, you were revered for your defensive prowess, mental toughness, and physical stamina that was second to none. You are often described by competitors as relentless, intimidating, and merciless to all comers. Is that a pretty fair assessment? Uh, yeah, I'd say it is. I, I, uh, I was fortunate enough famous uh, indoor team in the 
70s and 50s, uh, they played for their second team. They weren't good enough to start on their first team, but they played on their second team. And these guys were relentless. They, you know, you can you can you get you can hurry up, get to that ball, use your hands. Don't do this. Don't do that. It got so that I hated to play with them because they were they drove me so much. But they did teach me how to play the game correctly. So as I progressed as a player, uh, I played more and more and more. And one of your questions you asked if, if Ron and I played one uh, for a year and a half without losing the game. We went for two and a half years and lost 20, less than 21 games. So we played all the time. During all that time, when I was playing all the time, I played at night too. I played short court doubles. I played indoors. And, and as a matter of fact, at one stretch, there was a gym on Monday night to go to, a gym on Tuesday and Thursday night to go to, a gym on Wednesday night to go to. So I ended up playing, during the summertime, I played all day, you know, from one o'clock until six or seven, and then I played two or three hours at night. So it's like, if you're earning a hundred dollars and you only spend 50, you save $50. So, I earned the hundred dollars, and when I played in the tournament, I only spent fifty. So the next week, I had another fifty dollars in my bank. So I just built stamina by just playing a lot. I never lifted weights. Uh, I didn't do any of that. I, I started lifting weights um, in 1969 when I was 32 or 33 because I wasn't playing as much. So, and I always played against the the best players that I could find. And one of the things that probably helped me more than anything psychologically is the first tournament I played in was Santa Barbara in 1956. And late Saturday night, I drew Bernie Holtzman and Gene Selzing, which was the, the power team at the time. And my partner, I, Dick Davis, we beat him. Put him in the loser's bracket. Wow. So that, you know, that gave me a huge uh, conference confidence that I could, if I find the right partner to partner with, I could uh, play against the best players of the time. Question number two here. You played in a time period uh, on the beach in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that has little or no video footage. So everything we hear about that time period is based on photos and stories of those who witnessed it. What can you tell us about the, the game during the, that era and what it was like playing um, during that time period? Well, we didn't have very many tournaments to play in. Uh, when I first started playing, uh, they had probably four, maybe five tournaments. And it started out... Uh, in Santa Barbara, and then there was one in Laguna Beach, and two in San Diego, and that was about it. So maybe one or two other, maybe one more, I can't remember what beach it would be, but it was all about the game and all about bragging rights. And uh, I, uh, 
partner to play with. So every tournament I ended up playing with a different partner. So it was it was uh, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, you go down to the beach and play all day, and drive home and drive back up the next morning and play all day again. It was um, it was a, a magical time. The beach was a lot of fun. Uh, there weren't a lot of people on the beach. Now you go down to uh, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach. They got a bike path going through town, and it's just not the same. And 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 there's nothing about the game that's the same as when I played. Yeah, that's for sure. It's changed quite a bit. Um, getting back to what we talked about on question one, uh, pertaining to uh, your relentlessness and intimidation and being merciless to all comers. I remember uh, John Lee from Santa Barbara making a comment that when you got on the court with with uh, Ron Lang, it didn't matter who you were, he was going to take it to you. And uh, is that a pretty fair assessment? Yeah, I've, I always felt that if I beat your brains in during the week, and every time you played against me, then on a weekend, you wouldn't, uh, wouldn't think you had a chance. So I, you know, I, I really, uh, I didn't play many social games volleyball. I was out to beat you every time I walked on the court. And if I could beat you 15 to one or 8 that's what I was gonna do. So that, John's got a fair assessment of, of uh, my attitude. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say he does. Um. You'd played with two of the greatest players to ever play the game, Gene Selznick, Ron Von Hagen. For those of us who never saw either of them play, tell us a bit about each and what made them such transcendent talents in the sport. Let's start with uh, Gene Selznick. Like first, he was probably the most talented player I ever played with. He could, in, in those days when I played, when we all would pass overhand, all the balls would pass overhand, very little bumping and very little few bump sets. We got to all the balls because passes were pretty good. He was a great defensive player. He was a great hitter, um, a great passer, had a dominating serve. And in 1955, he was all team first world indoors in Paris. So he was one of the best hitters in the world and he already had developed a reputation on the beach. So, um, after my first two years of playing on the beach, I played indoors with him. He got me to play with his team indoors uh, in 57. And he just was uh, an indomitable player. Uh, he, his, he wasn't a great, it, on the beach, he was not a great statistician, technically, on how to attack people. But he was so good, when he walked on the court, he expected to win, just because he was Gene Selsing. And uh, we'd play, be playing on Saturday down at State Beach, and he'd say, hey, Ron, I'm gonna pass the ball in the net, see if you can get it out and make a set. So he deliberately passed the ball in the middle of the net. Because it, 
you get bored with the game. And I think Gene's greatest contribution to volleyball is he's the one that, in my opinion, he brought the European game to the United States. He came back from the games, the World Games in 55, or 56, and he left Hollywood YMCA to start his own uh, club team, and he, he built a team around the European game. Three hitters across the front, all-time 6-0 system, two-man block. That was his doing. So he was he was a real special beach player, uh, but he was a better indoor player. And everybody says, or no, I don't say everybody. The the general notion amongst the current crop of kids or the current crop of icons is. Karch Karai's the best, was better hitter, but it was a better beach player because he won more tournaments. Well, I don't agree with that. Uh, I think Gene could hit the ball better, pass with his hands, could set well, and was a better defensive player. Plus, Gene won 60% of all the tournaments he played in, and Karch won... 44% of all the tournaments he played in. Is that from that stat Gene thing that you had sent me? first, second, me? or third, 94% of the time. And Karch was first, second, or third, 74% of the time. And these are all numbers I got off the beach database. Right. Is that the one? So, in my mind, uh, Gene, if he, if he wasn't better, Karch wasn't better than him, so... He was just a special player, a lot of fun to play with, and uh, we went the losers bracket a lot because he wasn't trying. <laughs> but we come back through the losers bracket and finish first or second. So, can you hear Von me? Von Hagen um, is a little bit different. Von Hagen uh, wasn't, didn't have any one skill that was a standout except his will to win there are only two players that I played against Michael Hara and, and Von Hagen who would not quit Ronnie could play for hours and in side out volleyball that was really important and he played his hard Monday afternoon at the beach against two single-A players as he did Saturday in the first round or Sunday in the finals. He always played 100%. And so when people ask me who was the, who was my favorite partner, who was the best partner I ever played with, I answer in two ways. I say Selznick was the most talented and Von Hagen was my best partner because we had the same attitude. We're going to grind you in the ground no longer, no matter how long it took. Um, your next question was, who was the best team I ever competed against? Yep. And that's got to be Henry and uh, Rundle. They both could pass. They both could set. They both could hit. They were a little better than average defensive team. And their serves weren't devastating 
Just like that Manhattan in 68, huh? Yeah. Yeah, when they said to me, uh, we should have called that tournament a draw. And uh, I'd like to say, yeah, but I'm the one that insisted we play, so I can't go back now, 30 years later, and complain about the way it turned out. Though on that particular day, I honestly feel we were the better team. Until I until I went blind. Until <laughs> <laughs> your I mean, eyes failed you. No, no lights, and it was eight thirty or nine o'clock. So, wow, you get the picture. Absolutely, and uh, you had mentioned how Henry had such power. Was what was it like digging one of his his uh, spikes when he unloaded? It, it, there's no special feeling. You just try and get in, in a spot and try and catch the ball. Did you overhand dig him a lot? From what I've been told, you had like incredibly quick hands, so all that training you got with those guys that drove you nuts when you were first starting to play must have paid off later on. Both Gene and I dug a lot of balls with our hands. But if you think about it, if you try and catch the ball, uh-huh. you would be able to catch the ball. The ball's coming at you 50 miles or 60 miles or however many miles an hour it's coming. You won't be able to catch it. And, and the reason you're able to, to dig some guys is because they tell you where they're going to hit the ball. They don't mean to tell you. But I, I, I can watch somebody play today, watch them warm up, watch them play a couple matches, and I can tell you where they're going to hit the ball. If a left side player's got the ball coming from the back court over his shoulder, he's not going to hit it down. He's got to hit it deep. And more likely, he's going to hit a deep angle. Right. Or a deep center. And in the wind, I remember Ryan and I played Rudy Sawara and Kirk Kilgore, two real heavy hitters. And we played it, we were playing in San Diego. And Ronnie said to me, who are we going to serve? We're going to take cider serve, and who are we going to serve? I said, we're going to take serve, and we're going to serve the ball towards the water, both sides, because that's where the wind was coming. So they were, they had to struggle to pass the ball because the ball was moving a lot with the wind. And they had trouble hitting the ball because they either didn't get to it or blew back from the net. So we won the first game pretty easily. The second game, they changed sides. One went to the right, the other guy went to the left. They had no idea what we were doing. So I always tell people, watch your opponents warm up, because they're gonna hit their favorite shot to make the ball bounce. So in a critical situation, just go stand where they, where they practice hitting. If they practice hitting ball straight down, go stand there. And you only have to take one ball to, to, to ruin somebody's confidence. I was playing with Gene Kluger in that tournament against Henry Bergman and Richard Farrell. And we were serving Rich, and the ball was about, he was set right on top of the net. So I was about six feet from the net and about six feet from the left sidelines. Fruiter was standing behind me. 
he hit the bus straight down and I dug it. And Fluger sent me and I put it away. And he turned to me and said, how'd you do that? I said, I just stuck out my arm. Well, the next five balls, Rafael hit in the net, hit out, he cracked. I dug his best hit and he didn't know what to do. And, and that's the way most players are. So if you study the game, you can figure out the way someone approaches the ball. They're giving up certain parts of the court to hit in. So when you figure out which side of the person you're serving, you want to serve because they're going to approach the ball a certain way. And they're going to give up part of the court. At least they're going to give up a part of the court that they want to hit the ball into hard. They may be able to shoot the ball over there, but then you've always got a chance to run that down. Or make a play on it. Right. A hard hit ball, you better be there before the ball gets there to dig it. Yeah, love to it hear really about that one. It really didn't have much to do with Mike Bright and me. It had to do with O'Hara and Gene. Both wanted to prove who was the most dominant volleyball player, both indoors and on the beach. And so uh, Mike and I, Mike Bright and I, were just uh, sidekicks to the sideshow. And uh, Gene and I, you know, I, I was mm, 21, 22, and Gene was 27, 28. And so Gene was the captain of the team, basically, in theory. So Gene wanted to serve O'Hara. So we served O'Hara all the time. Well, well, well what we ended up doing is serving the guy who had the greatest will to win, and his partner was a better center than O'Hara. So we played him definitely wrong. And if Ronnie and I were gonna play those two guys, we had served Mike Bright, because Bright didn't like to hit O'Hara sets. So, so that was probably mo- ended up 50-50 on the tournaments we played together. But against one another, I don't know. Pretty close to that. And that was more on, on Gene wanting to... Uh, uh, Ronnie and I never lost O'Hara in anybody because we served his partner. And, and you could grind down his partner, you couldn't grind down O'Hara. Yeah, he, he was another one that you spoke at recently for his funeral, isn't that correct? Yeah, I spoke at his funeral. It um, says a lot about the family that. having invited you to do that. Speaks a lot, I guess, about you and the impact that you had um, with that rivalry that the family would invite you for that. Yeah, uh, you know, I had a lot of respect for for uh, Mike's game. I, I mean, we didn't socialize. I didn't know him socially. Uh, my wife knew his wife socially, uh, but I didn't know Mike socially. Uh, but uh, I had a lot of respect for his game and his competitiveness. I played two tournaments with with O'Hara, uh, one in '56 and one in '57, and we beat Bernie and Gene both times. 
tried to get him to play with me full time. But I, when he went, when he when I met him in 1956, he had just gotten out of the army, and his partner at the time was a fellow named a teacher named Don McMahon, and Don had set out two seasons to wait for Mike to get out of the army. Okay. And Mike felt he owed Don McMahon uh, some loyalty for not playing. So he wouldn't play with me. So Gene started the indoor team and asked me to play on his indoor team, and which I did. And who knows where my career would have gone if I had gotten Mike to play with me. I don't think I'd have been uh, quite the volleyball player that I turned out to be. Great story. Um, 1968 Manhattan Open, Von Hagen and Lang versus Bergman and Rundle. It's been said that three-plus-hour-long match epitomizes the most perfect beach volleyball match ever played. Tell us about that timeless classic. Well, we played the finals of the losers, finals of the winners bracket. Uh, no game went, went. All the games were seventeen to nineteen, nineteen to twenty-one. 15 to 17, something like that. That match, one match, lasted three and a half hours. Wow. So then we sat down, and they played the losers bracket. They won that match. And then we played them another three hours in the, in the finals of the tournament. And they won that match. So uh, the tournament director said, it's getting dark. And so the tournament director said, uh, let's just call it a tie. And because we're not going to be able to finish the way you guys are playing. And it was probably the most perfect volleyball. I mean, everybody sat well. Everybody hit well. Everybody was had their A game. So I said, I thought we were, gonna, we were the better team. So I said, let's play. And Rondo said, if we start, we're, we're going to finish. I said, fine. So at 13-11, our favor, and Von Hagen says it was something like 9-2 or 9-3 or something like that, but I remember 13-11, I said, I can't see the ball anymore. I can't see it when you pass it, so I can't get to it to set it. So we lost 15-13. It, it was... Um, It was a great match, and the very next weekend yeah. we we had to go down to Laguna Beach and play, and uh, they lost their first round match and went home, and Ronnie and I ended up winning the tournament. So when they didn't, they didn't have it, they apparently didn't have the stamina to go two weeks in a row, but they were a great team. They were really a good team. They 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 passed set. They didn't have great defense, but they had great ball control. I did want to mention you know, off the cuff here. I uh, had asked Kent Steffes uh, a while ago uh, in a message um, about a conversation you two had over lunch at some point back in the 90s. Uh, do you recall meeting up with him for lunch and anything that happened during that, convers during that conversation? He had mentioned um, that you... Uh, told them if you guys played uh, 
that you'd be able to dig seven out of uh, his ten oh, hits. Yeah, Kent Steffes. Yeah, Kent Steffes. Yeah, I. Okay. I was like, uh oh. <laughs> if you don't remember him, I'm in trouble. Go Ken ahead. Ken Steffes wanted to meet Ryan. And so, Ken Steffes and Chris, Chris Marlowe, Ronnie and I, Randy Niles, and um, Jim Mingus went, went, went to dinner. So, we're talking and I'm sitting next to him and we're chatting and uh, um, it was a dinner, not a lunch. So he's telling me how that he's not very well liked on the tour. So I said, well, so what? I said, use it to your advantage. I said, I had an apartment 20 blocks from Serrano Beach. And when I was playing with Von Hagen, and nobody knew where I loved, lived. I didn't party with anybody. I said, you're trying to beat the brains in. You don't care if they like you or not. All you care is you get to 15 before they do. So we were talking, and I said, you know, if you, if you had to hit the ball cross-court to me, I could probably take 40% of the balls you hit if you hit had to hit him cross court to me. And he, and he said, what do you consider a dig? I said, something Ronnie could get under and say with his hands. So Ken says, Chris, Blank says he could dig 40% of every hit I hit if I had to hit it cross court. And Chris says, we may have something for TV here. I said, oh, you mean now? <laughs> 40, 42, 43, something like that, 44. I said, oh, you mean now? Oh, hell no. Now I can only take 20% of what you do. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, Ken had made a comment about that and said it was interesting. He w he wanted to be able to connect with the legends of the sport, and he really appreciated uh, getting a chance to meet and talk with you that day. So if I uh, he wanted me to pass that along to you. He was a real nice guy. I only met him that once. Yep, he had a heck of a he career, too. He's a good record. Yeah, he sure does. He, where do I have it? He won 48% of all the tournaments he played in and first, second, or third, 78% of the time. I noticed Stoklos' name wasn't on there. Was that a misprint? Or, I think he did the math, and he, he would have fallen, been in that top 10 category easily. Who? Randy Stoklos. Uh, you I got the calculator out? <laughs> Yeah, I thought no, that was I a... I didn't have Randy down. Again, I tried to pick some guys that I, I, I knew when they played, but uh, Randy said something real nice to me at the Hall of Fame inductions at the beach one time. He said, thanks for what you did for us from on the beach volleyball side. Thanks for how you brought the game along. I thought that was very nice. He didn't have to say that. Well, it's true. And he probably would. He would be. He he would be in the top ten percentage wise. 
Yeah, I think he crunched the numbers himself after I posted your figures on the old school group site, and um, he was he was up there. I think uh, as well, maybe even top five. Um, I don't recall exactly, but um, he was he was one of the all time greats too, for sure. Um, before we wrap up here, what are you up to these days now? Ron, as far as uh, family, reside, hobbies, interests, things you're doing. I play golf. Uh, not really well anymore. I had, uh, in the last six years, I've had a couple of strokes and a couple of seizures. And I, I lost all kinds of distance. And after the seizures, you know, your brain kind of freezes up, so you have to retrain yourself. Right. I've lost about 30 to 40 yards on all my clubs. So it's not as much fun to play, because I can't reach anything in regulation anymore. And, uh, married. Play golf. Still work. And pretty good health. Quite a number of accolades in the sport over the years. Over 50 beach wins, three indoor national championships, nine-time first-team All-American, uh, California Beach Volleyball Association Hall of Fame, International Volleyball Hall of Fame, both indoor and beach, which uh, as far as I know, there's not many people that have that um, uh, distinct honor. Which ones are, are you most proud of when you reflect back on your illustrious career? Um, I think I would have to answer that, that I'm probably most proud of the accomplishments that got me the awards. Like, I, I, you know, I won 55% of all the tournaments I played in over roughly a 20-year period. I was first, second, or third, 90, 92% of the time. Um, it, it was, you know, for me to play with Von Hagen for a year and a half and never lose a game against the best players that were around at the time, that was an accomplishment that had nothing to do with those awards. So I, I think that, that uh, Selznick and I won 60% of every tournament we played in. Von Hagen and I won 59% of every tournament we played in. So those accomplishments created the awards. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So those are the things I'm proud of. I mean, it's, it's nice, it's very pleasing to be elected to the Indoor, International Indoor Hall of Fame, both at Beach and Indoors, and I'm the first one of those first person to, to get that honor. That's all well and good. But it's all the work. Bobby Knight said most players have the will to win. But most players don't have the will to do what is that takes that what it's necessary to do what's necessary to win. So you know I told you before how much volleyball I played. I probably played more volleyball than anybody else in my time frame. 
because I was playing all year round, indoors, beach, and sometimes I did both, indoors and beach, depending on the season. So, you know, to, to play for roughly 20 years, from 19, well, let's see, from 1956 to 1973, uh, 17 years being competitive, I was from second to third 92% of the time. Impressive. So, I mean, that's the accomplishment that uh, I'm most proud of because I did what it, I did what it was what was necessary to do to win. And I had good coaching. I learned a lot from Gene. I learned a lot from Bernie Holtzman. I mean, Bernie had a couple of interesting comments. He said, "Never serve the ball in the net, even if you serve it out." Some goody bird so I put a hand out and touch it. Never hit the ball in the net. Hit it out if you have to. Someone's allowed to reach out and touch it. You know, they're just... And then the one I came up with. Watch the guys warm up. Now, I don't know if anybody says that. But it's an actual fact. I know... I'll tell you another story about defense. I played, Ron Hagan and I were playing in first tournament in San Diego. And um, Bob Hogan is, is playing the right side, and he's the weaker of the two hitters. And we're serving him, and, and um, he hits one down the line, one down the middle, and one down the line, one down the middle. And Ronnie turns to me and says, let's switch sides. You try and dig him. So, first ball, he hit the right to me, I dug him. Von Hagen said, what did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. I just stayed where I was. Yeah, so, you know, if, you, if you're aware of the way you, what your players are doing, watch other players in tournaments when you're not playing against them. Just watch what they do. And that will give you plenty of information to play defense. Or all you have to do is divide the court in half and divide each court, each half of the court in half, and draw a line through the side, take the middle half front to back, and go stand on that mark and you have big balls. You don't have to move. That's where most of the balls are going to go. Can you hear me, Ron? What are your thoughts on the rule? The next one was, what do I think about the rule changes? Yeah, short court, rally scoring, and uh, the sport uh, you see and witness today. What do you think about it?
doesn't draw enough big enough sponsors to make you pay for a TV station to have five and a half hours of golf on to have a match or two or three last five and a half hours. It's just not not doable. So I understand why they went to the shorter court. I mean, I understand why they went to rally scoring. I understand why they went to the block. In our day, if you blocked, if your little finger got over the net, that was a violation. So if you're playing for money, guys are blocking. You don't want someone to have a whistle blow on you just because you're barely over the net. So I understand that. But they don't let the guy sit, very few guys sit over the hand, overhand. They all bump the ball. It makes it harder for the hitter to hit the ball. Because if you can envision yourself standing up next to the net with your hands in the air, going to, and you're going to hit the ball from your partner. Right. What do you see when you look at his hands? You see the whole court and everybody in it. Good point. So when you bounce the ball, you got to watch the guy's hands down below the net, and you barely get a glimpse of the opposition on the court. Makes it harder to hit the ball. So, um, plus they narrowed the court. It took two and a half feet off the depth and narrowed the court. And they put antennas up. We used to play the ball had to go through the pole, between the poles. So you had to cover more court. So in essence, the rules changed have made it a big man's game. And just trying to stop the ball at the net rather than uh, all the skills that volleyball players could have if the rules hadn't changed. Right. Uh, I don't like the, the rally scoring for another reason. I think if you're going to do rally scoring in the final game of a five-set match or a three-set match, the final game to 15, you ought to have to earn the final point. So if you got, you're down 14-10, if you're up 14-10, you should have to dig a ball or they have to hit it in the net. Because you get a three or four or five point lead in today's scoring, the chances you catch in the opponents, unless they completely fall apart, are negligible. So I understand how some of the rules affect the game. Uh, I, I believe it's taken some of the things that the players of the past used to do that were good skills that were hard to do. Right. And made it a big man's game. And um, that's just the way things are. Brother Rundle said to me at my birthday party a few months ago, can you think of any other game, major game, that has had many rule changes as volleyball has? That's a good point, too. Don't give the players of yesterday any credit. 
is better than all three of the guys I named, and they don't even get recognized. It's almost like saying, gee, do you know who Jim Brown is? Well, if you're a teenager playing football, you probably don't know who Phil Dahlhauser is. I mean, that Jim Brown is. Or do you know who Phil Rizzuto or Pee Wee Reese is? Probably not. Or Bill Russell. You know, I mean, they're comparing apples to oranges and uh, saying that the younger guys are better all-around players. And I don't buy that, but nobody cares what I think anyhow, so. I just want to say, uh, as someone that's a nobody from Wisconsin, getting the chance to speak with you on the phone here today, Ron, was like I mentioned to you when I first called you. It's like a Green Bay Packer fan getting the chance to speak to a, a, an NFL and Packer legend like Bart Starr. So the fact that you took an hour out of your uh, afternoon to talk to me and share this information is uh, something I'll remember for a long time. So I, I really, uh, really appreciate uh, it. Do yourself a favor, This concludes our interview with Ron Lang. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'd like to quickly give thanks to the musicians that we use for our podcast. The opening track is from the band Sponge. The song title is Rainin' off the album Rotting Pinata. The closing track is from the band Magna Carta Cartel out of Sweden. Song title is That It's Already Too Late off the album Good Morning Restrained. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to visit our Facebook page, which is Gods to Ghosts Volleyball, and our website, which is godstoghosts.com. Thanks again for listening. Appreciate it. (laughs) 